in the church Bibles or 340 in the large print. So if you return there, we're going to spend most of our time in Joshua chapter 8. And then anything extra, I've got a couple of verses on the screen, so you shouldn't need to flick from there. Now Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8 are opposite parts of the same story. If I had a coin, you could, have, uh, you could illustrate it with that. One, one side is heads, one side is tails. They're the opposite sides of the same story. Chapter 8 is what chapter 7 should have been if Israel hadn't sinned. And last time we had really... Uh, quite a terrifying message, didn't we, in chapter 7, as we looked at sin in the camp. What happens if we don't uh, deal with sin, if we don't recognize the seriousness of sin, if we tolerate sin? What happens? God was not with his people, and they were defeated in the battle. But here in chapter 8, we see something different. We see the opposite side, when God is with his people. And so as we've seen the seriousness of sin and our need to deal with sin, tonight we're going to look at the benefits and the blessings of doing that, of the radical obedience that is called for in the scriptures. And what we'll see is that we have victory in our Christian lives as we depend upon the word of God. Now when I say the word victory, what do I mean? Because sometimes victory can be misinterpreted. The the, the people that uh, proclaim this prosperity gospel seem to have hijacked that word victory, but it doesn't mean that we're going to be rich if we follow and obey the commands of the scriptures. At least I certainly haven't found that in my experience of the Christian life. It doesn't mean material blessings. But in order to have victory, it implies, doesn't it, that we have enemies. And Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have enemies, don't we? The devil principalities and powers, spiritual forces, and especially, as we saw last time, this problem of sin. And linked to this, we face, therefore, enemies of anxiety when we should have peace. We face the enemies of the the lies of the devil. Like we looked at this morning, that we can be satisfied only in Christ but we hear the lie and sometimes believe the lie that we can be satisfied elsewhere. That's an enemy. That lie is an enemy. We can be tempted to doubt God. We can be tempted and despair with despair and thinking there's just no hope. There's no point in going on. That's an enemy. Disappointment is an enemy. How do we overcome all of these things? We look at God's word We believe it. We depend upon it. And as we do that, we'll find we can have victory over these enemies as we look at and apply and depend on God's word. So let's look at Joshua chapter 8 and see what happens to Israel 
as they depend on the word of God. I'm going to read uh, the whole of Joshua chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off. And they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army. And he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So the soldiers took up their positions with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled toward the wilderness. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel, who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out toward the city the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who had been fleeing toward the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that smoke was going up from it, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. Those in the ambush also came out of the city against them, so that they were caught in the middle with the Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 
12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised the large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, just as is written in the book of Moses. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Amen. Well, we see this battle against Ai. And the first thing that we see as we look at the battle, or the the main thing we see, is that dependence on God's word brings victory over enemies. Notice the contrast between chapter 8, verse 1, and chapter 7, verse 1. In fact, notice the contrast between chapter 8 and chapter 7. As we begin chapter 8, the Lord said to Joshua... As we began chapter 7, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. In chapter 7, we see that they were overconfident. Remember, they they sent the wrong number of men. They sent just a few thousand. They said, this would be easy. And when they got there and they engaged in battle, they ended up running away in fear. And they lost 36 men. But in chapter 8, what a contrast it begins with the Lord speaking. And from the God's, God's word speaking, this whole chapter, we see Israel gaining victory. All through, we see dependence on the word of God. First of all, we see in verses 1 and 2, the instruction from God. He says, in contrast to chapter 7, take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. Not just a few thousand men, go and take the whole army. Now God didn't need the whole army necessarily, but he's showing here, isn't he, that his ways are what's going to gain the victory here. He assures them of victory. He says, I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai. I have delivered them. I have delivered. God has delivered the victory. They can go with confidence because God has spoken and is behind them. They have permission to take the plunder and the livestock. Remember we said if only Achan had waited. 
But they have permission now to have the spoils, to have the plunder and the livestock. And God even tells Joshua how to fight the battle. Joshua isn't told by God to think up a battle plan. He's given it, laid out to him. He says at the end of verse 2, set an ambush behind the city. This whole plan, the whole of this battle, is not Joshua's idea, it's God's idea. God gives it to Joshua. And all through, God speaks to Joshua, Joshua speaks to the people, and as they all obey, they get the victory. So we see the instruction from God in verses 1 and 2, but then from verse 3 down to verse 27, we see the following of God's instruction. The following of God's instruction. So God said in verse uh, three, move the, the in verse two, move the, the whole army. And in verse three, it says at the beginning. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack. You can see straight away there the obedience to the word of God. And basically, the battle plan was this: there was the city of Ai, the whole army went up, and there was about thirty thousand men. And Joshua was to choose. Some of those men to set an ambush to the west of the city while the rest of the army was in the north of the city. Those ones that were in the ambush were hidden away and the king of Ai, we read in a little bit later, saw the ones in the front. He didn't know, we're told, about the ambush. So the idea was that the Israelites would engage the king in battle, the king would run out and, get, and, 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 and join in the fight but he wouldn't see the ambush coming so he would send the army out When the army had gone, the ambush would come and destroy the city and then they would win the victory. It was all God's idea. And in in verse 8, Joshua is um, commanded about the burning of the city and then it ends with this instruction. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it you have my orders. Notice what Joshua says here. You do what the Lord has commanded See to it, you have my orders. What are my orders? My orders are God's orders. The Lord has commanded, do my orders. He's not making this up himself. He's saying, my orders are from God. And any uh, leader of God's people should only ever give orders to God's people from God's word. When we stand here and we speak the scriptures... This isn't just our ideas that we we just make up and and just figure out something to say. We come to the Bible. We open it. We study it. We we look at it. We pray over it. We we, we trust the Spirit to speak through it. It's, It's God's Word, isn't it, that we speak. And if any of you are in any leadership of any kind within our church, let's let's command only what God commands. Let's not just make things up. See to it, you have my orders. My orders are are God's orders. And then from verse 9 onwards, we have the account of the battle. Uh, Joshua and the army uh, doing exactly what God instructs them to do. So they march up to Ai, and in verse 12, we see that out of the 30,000 men he he sent, uh, 5,000 of them, it appears, are to go into the ambush to the west of the city, and the rest... In the north, it says, in in front of it. And it says, in front of it, so it's obvious where they are. And in verse 14, we see that the king of Ai saw this. 
and he fell for the trap, didn't he? He fell for the trap. He saw it and he fell into the trap. In verse 14, it says, He and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he didn't know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Because of the victory in chapter 7, I guess that the king of Ai didn't mind that there was extra men in front of the city compared to what was there in the first place. He was confident. He'd had victory before. He thought this is going to be easy, no doubt. Notice the contrast as well there from chapter 7. In chapter 7, Israel thought this was going to be easy. And here it appears, early in the morning, the king of Ai got up and sent them all out. They thought this is going to be easy. But he didn't know there was an ambush to the west. And so in verse 17, he sends this whole army out. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. And then it says they left the city wide open and went in pursuit. But then let's pick it up in verse 18. Let me read that verse to you. Because here we see it begin again. Then the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord again here is going to command, isn't he? Hold out toward Ai, the javelin that is in your hand. For into your hand I will deliver the city. So, what did Joshua do? Joshua held out towards the city the javelin that was in his hand. Joshua heard God's word. And he obeyed God's word. This javelin must have been uh, prearranged somehow. The Israelites knew what what it meant when he held the javelin. But God was the one that commanded when to hold this javelin out. Very similar, isn't it, to uh, Moses and her holding up, uh, when Moses was holding up his hands. And as his hands were lifted towards the Lord, Joshua was in the valley with the Amalekites winning the victory. The Lord was the one giving the victory in the battle. Obedience was followed by victory. Look look again, the the men of Ai um, started to realize what, what, what was happening. As soon as he did this, Uh, The men in the ambush, in verse 19 here, from their position, uh, they rose quickly and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who had been fleeing toward the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. There was no escape. There was nothing they could do. Nothing they could do. God gave the victory. In verse 22, those in the ambush came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the middle with the Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. There was total victory for Israel as they listened to God and obeyed his word. They listened to God and obeyed his word. Their victory over their enemies depended solely on listening and obeying the word of God. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so simple. Depend on God's word. 
But when trials do come, and we face those enemies we talked about at the beginning, what is it that you do depend on? The answer is, depend on God's word. The reality is often, I depend on myself. I can do this. I can deal with it. I can cope with it. I don't need to open my Bible. I can fix this myself. The answer is, depend on God's word. But sometimes, I depend on someone else. Someone else will fix my problem. Someone else will provide me with what I need. You know, I was thinking about this today. It's Mother's Day. And I was fortunate to have a mother I could depend on. But she wasn't a perfect mother. I hope I'm a dependable father, but I'm not a perfect father. I'm not in place of God. My mum is not in place of God. My wife is not in place of God. I wholly depend, or I should wholly depend, on the word of God. The answer is to depend on God's word, but sometimes we depend on other things such as self-help manuals or meditation or going all all sorts of strange and weird and wonderful things except opening our Bibles, reading what it says, and finding the answers to what we really need. Because all of these things, outside of God's word, fail us at some point and in some way. Troubles should push us to Jesus. Troubles should push us to Jesus. Because on Jesus, we can depend. Always. One of the names of Jesus, John chapter 1, the Word of God. The Word of God. We listen to Jesus. What did God say on the mounts uh, of transfiguration? This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. But what if we decide, rather than depending on God's word to save us, we reject it altogether? Because that's what happens here with the king of Ai. In verses 23 to 29, we see that justice is applied here. Justice is applied. In verse 23, this king of Ai was brought alive to Joshua. The army, on the other hand, was was finished off. Notice in verses 24, 25, and 26, the words used to describe the total victory. Uh, When Israel had finished, in verse 24, killing all the men of Ai, all of them, when every one of them had been put to the sword, Verse 25, 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. In verse 26, Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who live in Ai. All. Total, total victory for God's people against their enemies. As they followed the word of God. But what of those who do not follow God's word? Well, they are destroyed in God's wrath, just like the people here of Ai. 
And it was interesting, we, in our home group this week, uh, we were looking at Revelation 6. And one of the comments people will make to you if they are arguing um, about how God is unjust is they'll go to a book, often Joshua, and say, well, look at what God is like in the Old Testament. Well, we see from Revelation, don't we, that God is no different. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The difference is, this is just AI here in this chapter, isn't it? This is just AI. In the New Testament, you read about judgment for the whole world. And there's a picture here. If we reject God, there is destruction. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, we read, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. This is what happens when we reject completely the word of God. There is wrath. There is destruction. So what can we do about this? Well, it may surprise you, but I want us to look at the king of Ai and see Jesus. It's a strange thing to say because the king of Ai was a godless king. How do we see Jesus in him? Well, look at verse 29. Uh, He's brought to Joshua. And what did Joshua do? He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body down from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised the large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. The body was impaled on a pole and, they ha- and he took it down at the evening. Why? Well, there's a command which is going to come up on the screen. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, we read in Deuteronomy 21... These words. If someone guilty of a capital offence is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it the same day, because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. Anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. The king of Ai was under God's curse. When we look at the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 3, we read some truly amazing and wonderful verses. They are also going to come up. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. How does the king of Ai picture Jesus? Jesus became like the king of Ai. He took the curse upon himself. I deserve what the king of Ai received. 
but Christ took the curse upon himself. Christ was hung on the cross and he became a curse for us. And in Galatians, it tells us that we receive the blessing. What is the blessing? The promise of the Holy Spirit. A deposit, a deposit guaranteeing our eternal home in heaven forever. We can look at the people of AI and, 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 and the king of AI and we could think, well, they deserve that. They rejected God. But friends, this is what we deserve. But Christ became a curse for us. And we saw this morning, didn't we, the, the blessings that that gives us. And we can praise God. Christ became a curse for me. It's wonderful, isn't it? All of our sins forgiven, placed on Jesus. And as we say, I've said a number of times as we've come through the book of Joshua, there's a choice to be made there, isn't there? Either you suffer God's wrath or you allow Jesus to pay for you. Well, the people, as they listen to God's word, receive this amazing victory. Completely turned around from chapter 7. What did they do next? Well, they committed to God's word. And it's quite obvious in a way, if you think about it, isn't it? They have this experience in the beginning of chapter 8 where they listen to God's word and as they obey God's word and depend on God's word, they receive victory. So, commitment to God's word must be central to God's people. Now, in verse 29, we leave, uh, we, 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 we finish this uh, account of this battle at the gates of Ai. And in verse 30, we come to another time and another place, the foot of Mount Ebal. And the people of God have this covenant renewal ceremony. And chapters 5 to 8 of Joshua, we see Israel beginning to possess the land they defeat the cities of Jericho and Ai, but this defeat at Ai reminds them, we cannot tolerate sin, we must follow God's word. It reminds them of this. And so after the victory at Ai, it makes perfect sense that this follows, doesn't it? That they realize we need to follow God's word. And Joshua gets the people together, as was commanded by Moses, which we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 27, to this covenant renewal ceremony. And at the ceremony, they were to build an altar. They were to make sacrifices for atonement and fellowship offerings. Joshua wrote the word of God on stones for permanence. And they had this ceremony of commitment, which involved all of the people. There were six tribes on Mount Gerizim on one side, and then on Mount Ebal there were six tribes on the other. The people on Mount Gerizim would uh, call out the curses, and the, while they call out the curses, the people on Mount Ebal would cry, Amen. The people on Mount Ebal would cry out the curses, the people on Mount Gerizim would cry out, Amen. Together, corporately, they read the law, the blessings and the cursings, and they corporately, together, as God's people said, Amen. 
And notice uh, from verses 33 to 35, the amount of times this word all appears. In verse 33, all the Israelites were there with the elders, officials, and judges. They were, they were standing there. The foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. In verse 34, Joshua read all the words. All the people listening to all the words. All the blessings and the curses just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children and the foreigners who lived among them. Nobody was missed out here. It was everybody. Every person was to hear God's word and every person was to commit, yes, amen. And we need to do the same as a church, don't we? Individually, as we've read this battle of AI and we've seen listening to God's word brings this victory, yes, individually we need to commit to opening our Bibles every day, to reading this word of God and to applying it to our lives. Each individual person in our church needs to individually commit. But also, isn't it true, as we read this, we see a corporate commitment where all of us together need to commit to listening to God's word together, to applying it together, to hearing it, and together we say, Amen. And I encourage you tonight to recommit yourself to daily time in God's word. And not just reading it and then just closing it and putting it down, but consciously meditating on it, thinking about it, and then going into your day, applying it to your life, depending on it, standing on the promises that it makes, living out the reality of what is written there. Because if we just leave it and ignore it, our Christian lives are just disasters. Our response to God's word makes or breaks us as Christians. Israel's success was not about killing Canaanites. It was about submitting to the word of God. Without the word of God, they couldn't kill any Canaanites. They were just defeated. We are dependent on God's word for victory. And as we corporately commit to doing this, we should also commit to helping one another to obey it. I was going to um, have us stand and and read uh, something together, but time's going on, so we're not going to do that. But I encourage you to go and read um, the FIEC Statement of Faith on what it says about the Bible. And read that and believe that. That's what we believe as a church, and I encourage you uh, to go and do that. But before we come to communion, I want us to take another view of these last verses in the passage. Because as we see this passage, we see that Christ has kept God's word for us. Because we view this passage through the eyes of New Testament people. So when we look at the blessings and the cursings, we we look at it through the eyes of redeemed New Testament believers. 
We read this and we realize we don't match up to this law. We read the law and we realize I fail again and again and again. We read this and we, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize I deserve God's wrath. And nobody who has ever lived has kept the covenant perfectly except for Jesus. And we saw how with the king of Ai, Jesus was also cursed by being hung on a tree. He took our curse, but he was able to do that because he also kept all of the commands of the scriptures. He could be a substitute for us because he was perfect. He was perfect. He was entitled to all the blessings that were read out there at that ceremony. Every one of those blessings Jesus was entitled to. All of the curses that were read, he didn't deserve because he perfectly obeyed all the commands of the law. And not only did Jesus die to be a curse for us, the Bible clearly says that he died in order to give us those blessings. Isn't that wonderful? Let me take you back to that verse in Galatians. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us. We can receive these blessings through faith in what Jesus has done. And as we look at this this ceremony that they do, we can see the gospel. The first thing Joshua does is atone for sin. As a consequence of reading God's law, we realize, as I said, we've broken it again and again. We need atonement. And the sacrifice for sin, all those uh, atoning sacrifices pointed forward to Jesus, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And once sin is atoned for, once they made those sacrifices, they made fellowship offerings. This offering uh, of thanksgiving for restored fellowship with God, once sin is atoned for, We have fellowship with God. We are restored into a relationship with God. And we should be thanking God for that wonderful blessing of relationship with God. There's no point in trying to obey the law without the atonement because we fail. But Jesus has paid for it. And so they make these fellowship offerings. And for us as New Testament Christians, when we read that passage in Galatians, what's the blessing we receive? It's the Holy Spirit. 
We have the Holy Spirit that enables us to obey. Joshua wrote the the law on tablets of stone. But in Jeremiah, we received that wonderful prophecy that God will write the law on our hearts. So when we are forgiven of our sins, when we're given the Holy Spirit, the law is written on our hearts, we can obey. We can obey God's word because of what he has given us. We have all that we need to do what God commands us to do. We don't need to make excuses. God's given us his Holy Spirit. And so then Joshua read the law to all the people. And so we as God's people must continue to read and depend on his word in all areas of belief and practice. And so as we come to communion together and remember what Christ has done to secure all this for us, we should be praising him and thanking him. He became as the king of Ai so that we could have the blessing of God. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful how we can see it in Joshua and we can see it in Revelation. We can see what God has done for his people. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us of our sins. He has died in our place. Well, we're going to sing a song before we have communion. All this, all this is because of grace, isn't it? Because of God's amazing, abundant grace.